Welcome along, everybody, to episode 28 of the Precision Unloaded podcast. You're joined by your hosts, Graham and Mark, yet again. Um, as you may be well aware, we are slowly running out of things to talk about, so we are trying to bring on a few guests from the uh, New Zealand shooting community. Um, and tonight we've got quite an interesting one, Carl from Sabre Tactical. How are you, Carl? Good. Cheers for having me here, team. Appreciate it. No, it's good. Um, we've we've uh, quite um, people, a few people have messaged saying they're looking forward to this one. I, I teased it in the last podcast, so this should be quite oh, interesting. No, 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 no pressure then. Oh, there's never any pressure on this podcast, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so as most of you know, who uh, especially New Zealand shooters, um, and then obviously um, defence guys as well, uh, Sabre Tactical make a whole range of cool accessories for precision shooting. And then military stuff also, which we may touch on a little bit when Carl explains what Sabre Tactical is. Um, but yeah, so I met Carl or start of the year. He came along to one of our, um, uh, the RTD Long Range Challenge. Um, uh, I, th- I believe at the invite of Simon Gillis after shooting one of his GPRE events, which you sponsored. Is that correct, Carl? That's right. Yeah, yeah well, I, d- I didn't sponsor the first one, but um, I certainly had, a, had an interesting shoot there, that's for sure. Yeah, and you've sort of um, <clears throat> you've been turning up to most things now. You've seemed to have uh, got quite interested in the game, which is cool. Um, yeah. Oh, I just muted you somehow. Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, so Carl, what? So tell us about Sabre Tactical. So who you are? Sorry, and then what Sabre Tactical is and, and how it got going. Yeah. So I guess I never really planned um, to be in a textile company, and I think if someone asked me in high school well, that I was going to be running my own textile business, I would have laughed at them. But um, from an early age, I always wanted to join the military. And so as soon as I was old enough, I think 17 and a, and a bit, I signed up for the Defence Force and um, ended up getting accepted a little bit sooner than later. And I uh, happened to join at a good time. And in 1999, I jumped on to basic training. And that was at a time where the New Zealand Defence Force hadn't really deployed in, a, in about 20 odd years. And for those who are old enough, um, East Timor kicked off, um, so it's quite a, quite a good timing if uh, you join the army to be deployed. Um, because the defence force hadn't been deployed in the last twenty years, it certainly lacked a lot of funding, and particularly around the, the personal equipment issue, there was still a lot of Vietnam um, era webbing and packs that were still in service. And due to the, the deployments, um, there was a lot of focus on, on how our soldiers were equipped and employed. So finally, it sort of started to be step up as a priority. Um, but as you go through as a soldier, you want to do the best you can. And I still found that the equipment was quite limiting. And so always being the handy type of person, I looked at some solutions and got a bit inspired by um, a friend of mine who had an old industrial sewing machine. And, and so thought I could do a bit of this and, and purchased a, I think back then trade being only sort of just started, but a $60 old cast iron, old leather sewing machine that was, that was probably um, probably already 40 or 50 years old. And so I just started tinkering uh, in the in the background of my garage and modifying my own pack and webbing and, and then um, ended up eventually making my own gear. And through this process, sort of developed a passion uh, for designing equipment and um, testing and, and trying to come up with the best products as possible. Uh, so that was early 2000s and probably about 2010, I decided that this is what I wanted to do once I left the Defence Force. 
Um, and so I sort of started putting a, a business plan together while I was, I was actually deployed overseas and starting about branding and, and what I wanted to achieve. And one thing was certainly obvious that if I was going to do it, I wanted to produce the best equipment we possibly could. And they had to be sort of at a, at a level where we could compete with the best companies in the world. And I was, I just, I just felt like I would be, um, undermining of, of really what I wanted to do. And so that's been the, the ethos and about the company since, since it started on sort of day dot was to produce the best stuff we possibly could. And if that meant doing it in New Zealand, then, then so be it. Okay. Well, so you, you were actually started to tinker with your own equipment while you were still um, serving. So making it better and to suit your needs or whatever you were doing, it was. Yeah, exactly. And, and it was really the best testing ground because I could come up with a concept or see, see something that was deficient or a better way of doing something it'd be faster or lighter or or more efficient and then i could go away and i could test solutions on how we could do that and then put it back put into practice and unlike a lot of companies that sort of do it these days you've you've got your you've got your end user who puts together some sort of concept of what they want and they talk to a designer who talks to a manufacturer and then they end up getting something um not quite what they want or the end user doesn't understand the textile manufacturing capabilities and the the manufacturer doesn't understand the exactly in user requirements and there seems to be always sort of a missing link so it was i guess 20 odd years of um playing and trying to figure out what worked and what didn't and and really trying to excel and reinvesting as much money as we could back into the business in terms of r d and, and equipment and just trialing and testing different ways to do things well yeah that's quite interesting i, I wasn't aware of sort of the, the the history going back that far that's um that's really really neat um so was was a lot of the gear like you say well you were getting uh, uh, post Vietnam, Vietnam era gear, and and I imagine was we weren't being deployed due to our um, uh, being kicked out of ANZUS Treaty. I imagine. I imagine <laughs> yeah. that's what we had a, yeah. So we had a we had a battalion in Singapore for I think twenty odd years, and but really there was some there's definitely some small small deployments by no means, but nothing large scale, nothing that sort of uh, got the government's attention on. Hey, maybe we should look at um, funding our defence force a little bit better um and equipping them with better much better equipment and it didn't take long for for it to turn around and, and new stuff to get issued but it was never the sort of pinnacle stuff that that really enabled you you were still you still found limitations in your equipment and and i was all about trying to be the best um professional soldier i could be and so the more tinkering and modifying um i guess it's just like building a competition gun you're right you just keep modifying it until you get something that works for you yeah, I, I guess I, I talked, we um, have uh, quite a few um, military guys still current uh, compete and then also some law enforcement, uh, more advanced law enforcement people compete as well and they all sort of um, uh, preach your equipment and I'm not just blowing steam up your ass, they, they like your gear. Um, so is, is that that's the idea is just to give them the best equipment you can come up with, not just cutting corners and getting it made in China or... Taiwan or yeah, absolutely, and we can probably talk about that later. But you know, at a at a cost of price, right? Manufacturing New Zealand and and importing our raw materials from all over the world, as opposed to directly from Asia, certainly puts up the price. But I guess if you have a vision to produce the best stuff you can, garbage in, garbage out, right? You can have the best design, but if it's if it's made by uh, less higher end materials, then at some point it's going to fail and. I'm not really about putting my name on something um, that I don't trust or I wouldn't use myself. And 
I guess from a shooting aspect, it's been quite easy because I just make stuff that I want. And um, most of the time, that's generally what most people, um, well, the feedback we get is sort of in the same lines of, of most people. And we're always open to hearing our customers' stuff. Um, and I guess backing that up with a good warranty from where if something does go wrong, you can jump on the phone and, and talk most likely to myself and having the one that, that designed it, prototyped it, tested it. And so it makes it a lot easier from that perspective. Yeah, that's quite interesting. It's funny enough, the company I work for, we imported a heap of labor from Asia to try and save money. And then they all just joined our union and got the same rates as everybody else. And <laughs> didn't quite, yeah. It didn't work out for the for the uh, the big company I work for. But anyway, I oh, know. So that, that's pretty interesting. So it's it's obviously SaberTax has got quite a rich um, heritage and, and a, uh, a very strong culture when it comes to quality. Um, and so I guess the next question is, did you get into precision shooting through the defense force um or did you get into it later on once you um were a civilian well actually as i sort of started as a civilian before i joined up i was um certainly not long range but i i did small boy as part of my high school team um for about three years and and if anyone's looking at any young listeners out there that want to get into uh, competition shooting, I couldn't think of a better way to start in terms of managing trigger control, you know, all those basic marksmanship principles when you're, when you're dealing with a couple of millimetres difference between a bull and a, a, and a nine at the other end. It, all those little things and, and good habits are, are easy to learn. So I did that for quite a while, but I, I'd always been interested in long-range shooting and I was lucky enough um, to make the, they sort of changed the name uh, from Army shooting team to the um, Army combat team, but I shot both for my battalion and at competition level, and then I went on to represent uh, the Army. This is early 2000, so many years ago um, in Australia, and then I got a trip over to to Bisley over in, in London and, and shot competitively over there. So I was pretty lucky, I guess, from an early 20-year-old, sort of spending two months of your year on a range getting um, free ammo and, um, and some good coaching and, and sort of going to that next level of you know center fire longer range um uh in terms of my longer range experience i think based on being lucky enough to make the new zealand army team i got sort of short straw to jump on and test myself on the unit snipers course and uh, i was lucky enough to be successful in that and that sort of steered me into a good career and, and more longer range stuff but on a personal level it was always something I was interested in you know, as a sort of, you know, YouTube certainly wouldn't have had any information on long range shooting, etc. So it was all as much as I could get my hands on um, magazines or reading and, and sort of spend my time and hobby trying to teach myself to reload and, and trying to extend my range outside of work as well. Oh, that's quite, that's very cool actually. So when you competed in the, um, the army marksmanship team or whatever it's called now, was that with the, um, it would have been the style then, but also was it the Arctic Warfare Accuracy International, or have I missed yep. it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. No, you got there right. So yes, style was the in-service weapon, and uh, yeah, the Accuracy A Dub Arctic Warfare uh, Sniper Rifle Seven Six Two was um, was the weapon of a rifle of choice. Oh, nice! I, I had a play on one of those uh, at one of our earlier gong shoots we used to host when I sort of started this whole thing off, and yeah, guy had it was uh, wasn't a arctic warfare it was one of the earlier models but it was um it was pretty cool yeah. 
Um, yeah, I don't, you don't see too many of them. Were they? I'm not sure if they were sold into the civilian market or destroyed. But anyway, um, so going over to Bisley and stuff, that would have been quite interesting. You were shooting against the army marksmanship teams from all over the world. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, everyone from Omar to obviously UK, France, um, sort of congregate over there once a year. Um, yeah, fantastic experience, really. I mean, I, I looking back at the photos occasionally, you know, I was quite young compared to the rest of the team members. And, and if anything, I guess from a uh, competitive standpoint, you sort of really understand your limitations. You know, when you've only got a couple of seconds on the clock, you still understand what you can achieve in that time. You, you, you stop rushing, you stop panicking. Um, but yeah, that only comes with experience and time. So here's a question. It could be loaded. Who, who do you reckon at the time had the best the best marksman like the states the british omar whoever i think or well, omar omar for sure um so the, the the sultan of omar um all he does is pay these guys um to to shoot and represent um <laughs> represent himself i guess and so that's a full-time job and and to put it in perspective um they they go to uh england about two months before and stay there and just practice for the competition so um we're also I'd say Australia does pretty well, um, but I think we certainly stood on our own feet. You know, as a small country, um, I think we represented ourselves well, and I think you know we certainly took out some of the some of the matches. Some of our our good competitors um, certainly flew the fair high, That's for sure. Oh, that's quite interesting because I imagine it was purely on the marksmanship side of things rather than the other things can be associated with them. Um, sniper stuff stuff so yeah there and i shot some i wasn't so i went to aussie twice so the first time i went there i wasn't sniper qualified i don't remember shooting any matches in bisley um but it's still sort of shooting out the five or six hundred with a style um but obviously larger targets um but yeah in, in aussie sort of do a, a segregated sniper shoot so if you qualified and had the weapon system there you could certainly um, participate and i think we did pretty well in that if i recall oh nice nice yeah, because I, I guess at the time to Australia and us, we would have had, they were they running AIs? Yes, yeah, they yeah, were. Yeah, because um, we, we ran for, the same firearms for 100 plus years and now we don't. But anyway, it's um, politics and stuff, I guess. But yeah, I think, I think, I think yeah, somewhere are, they've, got a, they've got a blazer now, funnily enough. Yeah, they they got the blazer 762, 338, I think. Um, for the longer range rifles, but they've got a number of different weapon systems. The same, you know, it's it's used to be the um, accuracy A dub, and that's all we used. You're lucky if you had a 50 cal and and a few might have been a few 338s floating around um, back back in those days. But I think so much more variety and choice available. Yeah, yeah. Well, Mark's uh, somehow got a 50 cal now, so if you, <laughs> nice. if you ever want to relive a bit of. Uh concussion wave <laughs> yeah that's right yes. yeah yeah oh so that, that's really interesting again I've, I've, I've not long known you for a super long time so to, to hear all these um these tales it's quite a quite a treat actually because i not just um i don't just do precision stuff i've got quite an interest in uh new zealand military history and uh this and the other thing so that's very cool so one thing i've noticed when you come into <clears throat> so when you shot how tapu was that your first match the it was, yeah, yeah. How Tapu was my first match. So that's a which, uh, GPRE match for those listening who aren't sure what How Tapu means. Um, a very, very good match, I might add. Um, 
I noticed from the start, and I, this sort of hinted me at some of your past, that you shot very well pretty much straight away. Um, and especially at Hautapu and uh, probably not so much Ahatiti then, but there's quite a lot of positional shooting. So when you trained, was there a larger concentration on, well, maybe more so than now anyway, of, of um, unsupported, like sling supported positional kind of shooting? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you spend a couple of months on the range, you, you you go through and you thrash all the, the standing unsupported, standing supported, kneeling, um, prone sitting, um, standing. You know, you fire one shot, one shot kneeling and, and one shot, sorry, one shot standing, one shot kneeling. So you're going back and forward a lot. And it's all about building that muscle memory. Um, so I feel quite comfortable and I spend a lot of time trying to figure out, well, at least with the style, if you bring another weapon system, there's some slight differences to figure out what works. And so I guess that old, as I mentioned, muscle memory, just going to that position and feeling comfortable and relaxed. And then you can focus on what you need to do at the other end rather than going, oh, I'm a bit unsteady. What should I do? Should I move around? So yeah, that's, that's a big difference. And, and when we talk about slings, I, I think it's be fair to say if, if you weren't using a sling and once you get this back in the early two thousands, um, you weren't going to be competitive in the team. It's, it's an aid, but it takes a long time to get used to it. Um, otherwise I think if you don't invest that time, it's more of a hindrance, but once you get over that, I, I think personally I'm, I'm five or 10% more steady with it, mm -hmm. um, which is a big difference if we're, if we're talking about trying to hit, you know, steel targets at four, 600 meters. Yeah. It's one thing I've noticed, um, you probably noticed too, but some of the, the newer guys doing a similar job to what you used to do, um, it seems to be missing from their skill set is, um, unsupported positional shooting or sling shooting so times have changed i guess and the tripods come into fruition but just yeah i just notice it's different yeah i, I mean I, I can can't speak for the slings I, I think most slings are used to support the weapon and if you need your hands you've got somebody to carry it with these days the sort of mentality particularly sort of go around the urban sort of warfare side that we've been in for the last sort of 10 15 years um tripods though you know i mean um there's, there's no cheating in warfare. If you can, if it allows you to hit your target, then then that's got to be a good thing. Yeah, yeah that, that's a fair point. And and I, I do. It has been pointed out to me that a lot of the guys train in tussock, um, the the current guys. So, um, you know, you can't really lay prone in tussock too often. I don't imagine. So, no, but, no yeah. not unless you're on some sort of elevation or sorry, um, decline or incline. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So we we do have um, as I've mentioned. Um, uh, a reasonable sort of um, uh, number of competitors coming from uh, the defence force these days who who, um, who see use in the precision um, uh, field, especially the field style competition. Um, there was nothing like that back when you served in the early 2000s? No, absolutely nothing, to be honest. Um, which I'm very pleased because on a side note, when I... So I think about leaving the defence force, I thought, well, maybe I have a little bit more time on my hands to sort of get back into the civilian competition side. And and I sort of was gearing myself up for um, for three-gun competition. That was something I was going to take super seriously and I'd be building a, sort of a, 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 a custom AR. And uh, literally to the point, um, I, I had to finish putting it together to get hand in and, um, and uh, get some money back for it. So that was a, a super shame. And I'd been watching... Um, both you guys and Simon for quite some time on, on sort of social media. And as much as I'm really passionate about ballistics and long range shooting, 
um, sort of sitting on a gazetted range, shooting bulls at sort of 900 uh, meters is is not is not my idea of of super fun competition. And so there's practical style style stuff where you have to engage multiple targets at different ranges from unknown positions. Is is certainly on on pleased that something available because it, it is a lot of fun. Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting point because. I, I don't have a huge interest in, in shooting paper, uh, excluding like positional practice on paper for fundamentals. But like you say, yeah, the more traditional shooting sports don't really um, excite me much. Um, now, a lot, a lot of people like to say they, they, um, they shoot this style of sport because it makes their hunting better. Now, I actually like the sport probably more than I like the hunting, to be fair, because I'm, I'm what you'd call a lazy hunter, and so is Mark. Um, but it does make it so when if you shoot f class all the time and that's all you shoot if you go try shoot off the side of a mountain it's probably going to be quite difficult to build a position and take an accurate shot where you're confident in your ability to uh drop your game uh, ethically uh but if you shoot a lot of uncomfortable positions regularly you're more likely to actually be competent in that shot i think so um yeah it's again and hence why it's popular the events sell out and um I mean, when I first got into this, there was one event, there was Tarata, Simon's Tarata match. Um, yeah. You know, now there's just in the North, uh, <clears throat> I'm just talking about North Island, not South, but now there's shivers between Simon and I, probably like eight a year, seven or eight a year, um, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah, okay, so that's cool. So that that's hence why you, you sort of, um, like I said, you, you come into it and you, you've, you've been scoring pretty well. And now you were shooting from memory, was it a 284 or a 280 Ackley? Yeah, I got the 280 Ackley, which is which I built maybe 10 or 12 years ago. Um, and I certainly didn't build it for this sort of PRS style um, shooting. This big, heavy thing. Um, you could just go sit on a hill and shoot some steel or try and do some long-range barmatine. And, but it is what I had and and, uh, and thought, well, it's a good start point. Let's see if I like the game. And, and when I went, when I actually Simon from PracMed sort of said, hey, do you want to go shoot Hautepu? And I said, well, I've been making too many excuses. Yeah, let's do it. I thought, did a bit of research, and I thought my um, three-round HS Precision magazines probably aren't going to cut the mustard. So I, I threw some um, threw some five-round long-action mags on it, and I needed I needed to work the trigger because I wasn't too happy with what I had, so I got the trigger replaced. And, and I don't know if you recall, but on, on stage three, it – I thought, oh, I'm doing all right. And in the second round on stage three, I um, my cocking piece never got engaged by the sear, and uh, and that was pretty much me done and dusted. <laughs> um, and so after I think I missed stage, missed the rest of stage three and stage four, trying to sort out the sear, and thought, no, it's a, it's a bit unreliable and a bit unsafe. So I sort of stood down. I thought, oh well, I'll get as much as I can and support the rest of my squad. And I was pretty lucky. Um, Ian Hughesy was uh, was there in my squad and he goes well I've got about an extra 30 odd rounds you're welcome to shoot my rifle after him so I ended up shooting about I think it was an 80 round match that day I think I ended up firing about 40 odd rounds and was lucky enough to get placed 18 so I super appreciated that Ian come to the party and um, and I learned a lot from that match that's for sure Were you in practical or open class? Yeah I've only shot practical I think I think that's what suits suits me and my liking for giving a little bit skill back to the fire 
mm-hmm. um, taking away nothing from from uh, the open class, that's for sure. Yeah, so you actually beat me that day, funnily enough, even with broken oh. gun. <laughs> I had my worst result ever. I think I come in about 20 seconds. I oh, man, it really I, yeah, shivers. <laughs> absolute learning curve, you know, and, and I... I think if there's anyone trying to get into sport, just go shoot, right? Because you, you can't learn that stuff watching YouTube and you just got to get out there and do it. And uh, and it, it is what this is what I say. Like, you know, I, I knew Ian a little bit, but, you know, I've got a guy lending me his rifle and I think he won that comp, right? So so he's, he was a, certainly a contender right from the start and he's he's letting me keep his barrel warm a little bit longer than, uh, <laughs> than what, what he should have done. Yeah. So, they, and, and that's, that's really... All the matches I've been to, that's I've had that same result. You know, people just willing to help yeah. help the new shooters along. So that, that's a involved. fair point, though. You said you were sort of um, made excuses about why you haven't come until Simon from Prackmead um, brought you along. I before I shot my first one, I was the same. Funnily enough, all these years ago, I thought about, oh no, I probably won't go. You know, nervous more than anything, but sort of um, yeah. uh, hiding that with excuses. But I went. But you, if you practice. Uh, most people I find will practice the easiest way possible. They'll lie down flat. They'll shoot like 10 rounds at 700 metres and they'll eventually get a hit. Um, it might be their last shot and they think, yeah, man, that's pretty good. I'm, I'm the man. But really, it's not really testing you, right? It's sort of accuracy through volume and a nice position and the same wind and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, if the Simon, as we know is from GPR, is very good at stage design and um challenging shooters and hence why he still has a huge involvement in in my stage design um so yeah it's worth getting along especially even just hunter class man if you've got a ticker two, exactly three. yeah yeah I'd, I'd recommend i'd recommend hunter class for guys first time um because uh, it may be a little disheartening and open or practical just because of the difficulty but yeah i think it's very fair yeah yeah um but again there is a few limitations in hunter class with gear but we do allow um rifles that sort of don't meet the criteria um you just can't win it essentially uh, funnily enough that's what happened to our friend cat at the winter shoot she won it her first match but yeah <laughs> her rifle was uh uh it was it, it was over the weight limit so um, unfortunately she got bumped back to second which is a shame because the rifle isn't what made her win but uh, just because she's my friend doesn't mean I can move the rules around. But anyway, should so DQ you. <laughs> you reckon, Mark? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you guys are too soft. Actually, actually, to be fair, Mark, you shot it the day before and scored higher than anybody. Yes, yeah, so I won. So, okay, so sorry, the, the girls. The, 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 so you're way better. All right, <laughs> good stuff. Yeah, um, was okay. So. Now, I have seen a couple pictures on your Instagram, which I might add, your social media has been going, I'm seeing a lot of it. You, are you putting a lot more effort into that lately, like stories and pictures? Yeah, I, I've always had a, a big intent to sort of be real active on the social media. And, and after about six months of thinking, I better do a couple of posts this week, and then it being Friday, five o'clock, and I haven't done anything, I actually teamed up with... Um, I, I, I brought someone on board to sort of deal with that with me, and that's been absolutely God bless. You know, we sort of um, have a talk most days or uh, have, a, you know, have a couple of meetings a week and and it's been that's been a brilliant so the one disadvantage about being a small business you know i've got three full-time staff and a few contractors um but i'm still wearing way too many hats and uh and that, that makes life a little bit difficult and I, i've got a vision and, and the way to do that is sort of um by teaming up with people that that 
do things better than I do. So that's a, that's been a good win for us over the last sort of maybe two months or so. Yeah, I've I've, I've noticed it. It's um it's appearing on all my stuff. It's very good. and it's it's not just sh- like a shitty photo from it's laying on the floor and it's you know taken from above. It's nice, styly sort of um, professional f- photos and it's um yeah I think I think it looks good. I think it's working. I mean, is, is the point of the um the social media side of it more so for the civilian market rather than the military market yeah it, it is i think for for our military sales it, it really is guys buying if they are using it they're not using it for airsoft or yeah uh, or for another purpose then if guys are buying off our website it's generally um to support themselves in the um it's um their own bit of kit but i mean we'd right much rather sell directly to defense and and get as much equipment as we can on their soldiers without having to pay for their gear. So you're yeah, definitely, definitely marketed towards the civilian side. That makes sense. I don't imagine that the defense force is sitting on Instagram and clicking on random ads. Don't they? So yeah, that's yeah. pretty, that's pretty cool. And um, I actually quite you'll like, be, you'll be surprised. Do you, do you sit there Mark and click on um, sheep and beef ads? Uh, no. Being a professional farmer? No. Oh, okay. Yeah. So not at all not at all <laughs> i know the ads you click on yeah anyway but um yeah. If you're not i, I think social media to do. <laughs> that's right um I, I think social media for us is, is a way of getting our brand messaging across because i mean we're, we're not we're not cheap um you, you can't manufacture cheap in new zealand I and mean, I've, I've got a number of big projects that sort of scratching our head how we're going to manufacture in new zealand you know looking at sort of a 12 hour plus sort of detailed bag you know how do we make that as cost effective and we're not pricing ourselves at the market yeah um but for the stuff we do have on the website it's well obviously i'm biased but i think you know it's good quality but it does come at a price and we're not in every store where people can go see that for themselves so i guess pushing on social media um getting good reviews of our kit i guess what we've seen is sort of boosting confidence from our customers that they're buying the right product that spending the extra money is is an investment and not an expense and i I think hopefully we're getting that across yeah because i mean precision shooting is not a cheap game but people can be bizarre in that they'll spend a fortune on um, the scope and barrel and everything and then they'll cheap out on other items but there seems to be a lot of guys i mean at the comps i go to anyway or host or whatever running saber tactical gear now so it seems to be quite well received in these the civilian world that I deal with anyway. Um, like you said, I don't do airsoft or any of that stuff, but um, I'm seeing more and more saber tactical gear. Like when we shot RTD, um, I had heaps of guys going, hey, do you know who Carl is? He's got a whole load of gear here for me. I've got to pick up with him. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, so it was it was pretty cool to see. And I mean, you, you sponsored that event, so we, we were able to give away a bunch of your cool stuff, which is really good, um, which everyone appreciated. Um, and and that, that's one other thing I'll say too, is seeing brands i mean support events that's good but also come and compete so like you say when it come to your um stuff for defense you used it you tested it you ran around in the sand um but then when it comes to making these civilian products you're shooting it you're competing uh, a, sim- a similar thing obviously not as as wear and tear and hardcore as defense use but um i guess it gives guys a bit more confidence when they actually see you there using it and, and it performs yeah, and you really have to. And, and I say, I mean, like, there's plenty of companies that sponsor shooters and they go out there, but 
I still think there's a big distinct difference between a user and a manufacturer. And I like to think that if anything, I can bridge the gap, be a user, understand the technical manufacturing requirements, material limitations, and sort of put that in one sock. And, and the other good thing about New Zealand companies, you know, I can go to a match and, and I do it quite often. And I'm sitting there going, you know what, if this had a slightly bigger handle or something that would have helped me there. And we can, we're not having to buy 5,000 units from China in some um, minimum order quantities. You know, we, we do small batch production runs and we can tweak it as we go um, and constantly evolving our products. And, and so I guess a big thanks to our customers who have supported us because a large percent of our profits go straight back into the business on researching new development and, and that stuff, something that, that we definitely want to continue. No, that's that's awesome. So now, the, the 280 Ackley, as you said, it's, uh, it's a big gun, it's a heavy gun, reasonably high recoiling. Um, there's something new in the works, I hear, a new gun. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, I sort of got an investment. So just got a second hardy hybrid, actually. So um, also got one as my hunting gun, and I... And I spent um, a lot of time sort of thinking, well, I love the 280, but it, it is building down, not being able to spot my own shots with a slightly bigger recoil in those unstable positions. And the limitations of the five round magazines means I'm doing a lot more mag changes than what I would have liked. Um, so I, I pondered for quite some time, do I convert my hunting hybrid into a, a tactical rifle and, sorry, a um, target competition rifle? Or and build myself a new hunting rifle, or do I just get a second one? And I went with the later option. Um, so that's just turned up last week, and it's currently getting a Arca rail fitted this week. And good luck this weekend. I'm out doing some load development for it. So what? Uh, what? What did you get it chambered in? I got to the obviously switch barrel rifle, but I, what I got was a six mil GT. So I jumped on that bandwagon. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm hoping for good things. It it's, seems good, a little bit slower velocity than the old six mil Creedmoor, but yeah. um, I, I think it sounds like it's going to be easier to get shooting and a little bit longer barrel life, I'm hoping. Yes, that, well, I guess that's, uh, well, it's definitely the trend overseas anyway, is the slightly slower six mils. Um, so one issue with GT I've heard is getting brass and dyes and stuff. So have you sourced yeah. those from overseas or did Hardy and that sort of Yeah, thing? so... It was over about a six months process and then um but yeah ian ian managed to sort me some brass so i was really pleased with that um and i had some dyes coming um but they still haven't turned up so i was lucky enough to borrow some um so i'm pretty pleased with that so my dyes won't be here till another month away but um yeah i certainly borrowed one so that'll get me through the load development and and get a couple hundred rounds up to do some testing around the barrel and then uh, which i was hoping to shoot it at um tarada but Due to COVID, um, <laughs> and I'm just just inside the boundary, I, I will be uh, listening to the podcast following that and uh, hearing all about it, I hope. Yeah, yeah, hearing about how Mark defends his title. He won, he won, <laughs> uh, he run practical class last year. Oh, nice, Mark. Yeah, Good just, just dragged the rifle out and tested it tonight, so. Just as good as you Still remember. Good. Uh, ah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That is one thing I'm a little bit jealous of is... Um, not having a decent range in my backyard because I still had to jump in a vehicle and drive somewhere, and um, which is a shame. But 
getting a, looking at getting a 22 trainer and I'll, I might better plug that around here and that'll be a good start I think yeah yeah so you shot uh, you come down and shot the um, the practical field 22 match that, that we hosted here in my range um, you also I think you, you placed fourth or fifth fourth yeah I got, got fourth on that so I was pretty happy um and yeah, thanks to um, Target Dynamics for, for lending me a, a rifle because I, I shot the Tokoroa one previously to that, and that was just with my son's uh, CZ, um, where I threw my Night Force SHV on, and it and, um, certainly had its limitations on the further ranges, that's for sure. So it was, it was nice to shoot something that was more more built for those uh, those longer ranges. I'm surprised you don't just uh, keep the Target Dynamics gun. It's quite nice. Well, I haven't gone back yet, to be fair. So, uh, <laughs> but I keep telling Stu, I'm like, "Oh, we're in COVID, mate. You can, we, I can't go back. I can't, can't come over." So, yeah. Yeah. No, I seen I seen Stu at the weekend. He mentioned that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. So one, I, I did talk uh, talking with Simon, um, who who, who uh, won by a large margin at that competition. He said you were right with him points wise until maybe the last couple stages. Um, he was quite impressed. Yeah, absolutely. So, that, yeah, definitely some admin issues for me. And, and it, it really comes down to spending too much behind a desk, um, you know, over the last couple of years and um, making some basic errors. But, you know, hopefully this summer I can, uh, with a new rifle, and um, get out and focus on those specific points that I need to and, and, and I guess just trust the gun from there. Well, hopefully, and if I was you, I'd hold on to that gun for a little bit longer and hopefully our... Um... A queen lets you guys out of lockdown, and Simon's doing another little twenty-two match down here in about three weeks. Um, nice, yes, I'll certainly keep an eye out for that. Yeah, having um, if you missed the the fodder fodder shoot the other week in uh, now Torada, definitely need to get out there. Yes, it's actually at the same venue, the same Torada venue, um, albeit a, a, cool. a, a different part of the farm. So you, it's probably only about a three-hour drive for you. It's not too bad. Um, it probably, yeah, no, it's pretty good. It's about fifteen minutes past my place. So you know where my place is. It's um. Yep. Yeah. So that'd be cool. And I think Mark is going to possibly shoot his semi-automatic again because he's um doing quite well with that. Have you made a decision, Mark? Good. I suppose someone has to. Someone has to. Well, it's meant to be like sort of themed <laughs> as semis and bolt action. So. Isn't it semis versus bolt actions? Kind of. It's we're not going to be pitted against each other across a field or anything, but. Um, I think the idea is <laughs> the idea is so several years ago at the Oakshire Range, uh, GPRE ran a few matches and they were. This was pre twenty nineteen ban. It was a similar concept. It was um, ARs and 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 various semi automatics versus bolt guns. And at two hundred meters, the ARs had a huge advantage. Then we moved back to three, and it was pretty even with bolt guns. And then at four hundred, the bolt guns had a significant advantage. Kind of. There was one time when it wasn't very windy, so the ARs were good at 400. But I think the idea is something like that. So there'll be closer range shots with higher round counts, and there'll be sort of some more um, smaller targets, a bit more distance. Uh, we'll see. Simon's pretty good at, um, at making things challenging. But anyway, so hopefully you can get down for that. So I'd hold on to that. Yeah, um, brilliant. That, that Tika if I was you and to make up a few more excuses to stew why you need a... <laughs> well, it's, hey you're out there if you go down you do well you're actually advertising for him aren't you so it's be silly not yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool so um the six mil GT and so what so what what scope are you putting on that you said uh, SHV yeah I've, I've got the got ATEC R525 going on that one so with the Millix theoretical so I thought um I thought I won't have any excuses if I'm missing it's, it's due to me so 
Um, fingers crossed that pays pays dividends. Yeah, that should be pretty. It's, it's actually a shame you're not shooting this weekend. Although the gun wouldn't be ready, but it's um, that sounds like quite a deadly setup. Is there a particular reason but, you went for the hybrid rather than a Project X from Hardy? Just being being yeah, the, I, the chassis versus the stock thing. I think I think if he had the Project X out when I bought my hunting rifle, I would have gone that way because I don't really look at switch bearing the hunting rifle. But the ability to just I will be getting a two to three barrel um fitted for it and, and the ability to shoot exactly the same rifle exactly the same weight exactly the same scope and and go out and fire a couple hundred rounds of 23 ammunition as opposed to um burning the the six more gt and wearing out brass and and trying to find six more projectiles i think is absolutely plus and and that's why i sort of went that route as opposed to other options yeah that, that's fair so mark and i've been shooting a lot of 223 in the last sort of uh, year nearly um for the same reason cheap uh, accurate so um yeah a lot can be said for that isn't it it's a good idea yeah and it, if you're shooting shooting you know full bore or f class then you, you're you're silly to shoot any other rifle because you really got to know how that calibers or projectiles buckling the wind etc but i think for the more the practical style stuff it's all about standing up going prone or whatever position you want to adopt on a set time dial your scope in and fire one round and they're just repeating that over again on different positions or switching between targets, you know, at different angles, having to re reread the wind. And uh and that you can do with a two to three sort of at three or four hundred meters. You don't need to be up to the six or seven hundred plus with a, a larger a larger bore caliber. Agreed. So, yeah, I definitely see that I definitely see that as an advantage. And hey, I mean if if um if I won the lotto Maybe I would have spilt two rifles, um, a, a two to three trainer, um, and, and a six more GT or equivalent. But I've also got the other advantage of shooting sort of when I head down south. I've got, got a position on the mountain challenge. You know, I can look at getting a six six point five PRT or something, and just once again shooting the same rifle, um, and and not having to learn the the, the very subtle um, differences between different setups. So that's that's the main reason I chose it and, and plus I think it's a good product having used it multiple times for hunting and had good success there. Yeah. And as you said, this, this is all New Zealand made, um, which is sort of ties in with the whole thing you do. And yeah, I mean, absolutely. you guys, uh, they sell a lot of your products too, don't they? Hardy rifles. So yeah. Yeah. Sense. So, um, yeah. And I've, I've, I mean, to be fair, I've known Dan for when he was a, um, uh, in the defense force 20, so I know him for about 20 years and, and I, I share the same ethos and values of, of you know what he's trying to achieve achieve there. You know, good New Zealand made products to the, the best of our abilities and and that keep going back and looking at all the smaller smaller pieces and breaking the componentry down and saying, All right, how can I improve this one part? You know, mm. and so that that's <clears throat> that um that's something you definitely got in common. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So you mentioned you've uh, got a you had a, high, a hybrid previous to your latest one, uh, more for hunting. So, uh, what what's the differences? Obviously, it's a different caliber. So, what have you gone with there? Yeah. So, I guess before that, I was shooting a um, I had a number of rifles, but I, I had an old Tika, uh, the pre T three, it's a six nine six nine five long action and two seventy, and over for a number of years, I rebarreled that to a six point five two eight four, and I put a 
what was it a McMillan, Sarko 75 varmint stock and a, a few other bits and pieces sorry and, and so when dan brought out the hybrid i said nah mate i'm, I'm sorted I, I can't justify it i've got a good rifle and the more i shot shot his one i was i um i got a bit tempted you know it was such a lightweight well-balanced rifle and i was a bit put off with the look of the stock to start off with thinking it was more you know traditional prone but it still felt really really natural standing unsupported and and that's why um i i sold the 6.5284 and, and jumped on board and and because i let the dies go with my other rifle i i jumped on the bandwagon and, and bought into the 6.5 prc um which has been brilliant on top of that i put a night force nx8 the i think it's the four to 20 mm-hmm. um with a milsey reticle yeah i did ponder the difference whether I should have gone the second or first vocal plane, but I decided to go the first vocal plane. And uh, yeah, it's great. I mean, I, I, I bush hunt with it. I hunt the tops with it. And, um, you know, right right down to um, sort of 10 metres out to 600, I'm quite comfortable behind that rifle. So um, it's oh, definitely a good choice, and I'm pleased I made it. So this obviously the 6.5 PRC has become very, very popular here, but what, what sort of game are you hunting? Obviously around where you are, I imagine it's um, a bit of red deer. Yeah. No, yeah. Mainly, mainly reds. I normally shoot down the central, central plateau. Um, and with a few, few tar and chamois trips booked for next year, all going well. So, uh, but yeah, mainly reds uh, down Puriora or, or around the King country. That's sort of where I grew up and or plenty of goats, um, goat culling, uh, sort of keep things a bit interesting, but, Yeah, we shoot. So can you still hear? Yeah, yeah, you're still there, mate. You're still there. Yeah, we uh, we shoot quite a lot of goats. Mainly all we've got is goats here in Taranaki, um, with the occasional deer that wanders through. But um, yeah, I guess there's quite a, a quite a lot of them in southern Waikato too, isn't there? Um, yeah, yeah. You hit down south, it's not too bad. Plenty, plenty of access to goats. I guess uh, if it's not lambing season, so um, yeah. Always good for keeping your eye, and particularly as it comes up to the raw and and setting yourself up for that um, uh, for hunting. Yeah. Yeah. To to be fair, most of ours, and I know definitely Mark, it's just more opportunistic goat hunting as you're wandering about the farm. But um, Mark seems to shoot about fifteen to twenty every week. Um, how many did you shoot today, Mark? If you can hear me. None. None. Wow. Oh, actually, you, you come and visited me today. That's probably why. Yeah. <laughs> I had to take, take the dog to the vet after oh. I ran it over. So that's my punishment. <laughs> that wasn't meant to be on the podcast. That's for our other podcast. Oh, sorry. I shouldn't, I shouldn't laugh. That's another story. Yeah. Stories yeah. that you don't want to hear. Yeah, we've got, we've got a non-professional podcast in the works. But anyway, um, yeah. Okay, cool. So we... Um, actually, Mark got a deer the other day, didn't you, Mark? A rear RTD fellow deer. Now that I mentioned it. Uh, nice. fellow stag. Fellow yes. stag, yeah. And its antler fell off as it hit the ground. Yeah. Oh. The one remaining yep. antler. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty warm here. I'm surprised it had any, to be fair. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, there's certainly one there that definitely had good antlers about four weeks prior. So, and, uh, but the we, I'd seen them three nights in a row, both of them together. But then the night we went to get them, we could only find one. So, so you shot it with thermal, did you? Yeah, 
yep. uh, 308 with a Pulsar XP50 on it. Oh, nice. Not mine. Because nice. mine's in Lithuania getting fixed. Great. Oh, yes. Have you ever done oh, any mate. hunting with thermal car? No, no. Um, done heaps of uh, looking for deer with the old thermal sights, etc. Up in Warrior, you see plenty of them. But no, I've never hunted deer. Plenty of night shooting in the military, but no, no deer. Yeah, maybe one day the night before a shoot, we could uh, go for a wander around at Mark's, try to shoot a pig or something. If Mark's go yeah, ever turns, turns back up from Europe. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we, we quite often do that the night before a shoot, depending how busy we are, but um, it can be yeah. quite fun. We've got a bit of an, it's two years old, it's the scope, but it has yep. a problem now where it switches off under recoil, so. Ah, uh, yeah. Mm. So it's like a single shot. I just got to fire and then hope that something happened. And then it turns itself back on after about five seconds. So, oh no, yeah. And that, so that was all the way back to the factory job. So, luckily, it was still under warranty. Yeah, it's always a bonus of investing good money in optics if they're still under warranty. So, you mentioned you were going to head down, I mean, obviously, depending on what our government does, to South Island for the Mountain Challenge next year. Who have you got a partner for that all sorted, obviously? Yeah, I do. Um, t- teaming up with um, Dylan. So, oh yeah, good, yeah, good. Yes, yeah. you can do the position. Yeah, so, I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so I'll, I'll, with him and Palmy, I'm hoping we can uh, get together beforehand and, and do a bit of shooting. But uh, my, my I got fam, my wife's family's from sort of down that way, so it's not too too hard to get down there. So fingers crossed over Christmas, or we'll we'll team up and uh, have a little look. But hey, I'm just super super stoked I got a position to be honest, and I'm um, looking forward to getting out there and, and seeing what these South Island competitions are like. Yeah, Mark and I are heading down. Um, Brilliant. Still, well, I was talking to some of the boys, and they were going to shoot their magnums. I don't. I've never shot the event, so I'm sort of unsure if we take a six fives or we take thirty cows or three three eights or what. I'm not sure, but um, to be fair, six five PRC probably sounds like a good in between cartridge for that kind of. Yeah, I, I mean, I could chuck my hunting barrel on it. I, I doubt I'll have a new one um, with the two three barrel coming. I, I doubt I'll have a new um, six point five PRC in the sort of longer steel barrel. What I do have the carbon one as an option. Otherwise, it'll be the six more GT, which may be a little bit light, I think, for you know, for that, for getting down the end and shooting beyond a beyond a K. Yeah, especially I'm again, I'm not sure I've been there, but I'm, it's quite tussocky, I believe, in some of those areas. So I'm not sure there'll be a lot of dirt around the targets, but um, I could be wrong. But it's probably more suited to six point eight Western. Yeah, <sighs> you have to mention it every podcast, don't you? I'm paid to. <laughs> it's not even here yet, Mark. We don't have any. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. I can guarantee the first one that comes in the country, Mark will own it, though. He's like, the, uh, he convinced the Sportsways to import 224 Valkyries. They imported five and they never ever sold one, and that was to Mark. Now they've, got four, they've had four on the shelf for a couple of years they can't sell. <laughs> yeah, flipping it. Anyway, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. They maybe haven't, they haven't. They haven't advertised them. That's so true. Maybe if they did that, you might get them on clearance. Then you can have five of them. Wow, I've spears. Yeah, well, to be honest, your two to four Valkyrie's been stuck in the back of the safe for I haven't seen it for over a year. So, who knows? Um, yeah, again, I don't know what. Uh, maybe I'll shoot the three hundred wind mag down there, or, or there is some talk of a six five PRC turning up here at some point so we'll see what happens there that could be the go depending 
but um, to be to be seen. There's a lot yeah. of competitions between then and now. To be fair. Yep, definitely. And yeah, I, I think uh, 6.5 with a high velocity is, is probably the good good way to start if you don't want to go down the sort of Magnum, Magnum route. What what bullet are you shooting out of your 6.5 PRC? Uh, I'm just shooting factory ammo. So I'm shooting the uh, ELDMs um, mainly because I, I just wanted the... Uh, having been caught out a couple of times with a 6.5284, crap, I haven't done any loading and my mate just called up and said, do you want to go hunting? Um, I thought I'd just shoot factory out of it for hunting, but I, I will I will certainly look at probably stay with the burgers when I start reloading if, if I get one for, for competition shooting. Yeah, yeah they do. Okay. Is it a 156 or something? 156? Yeah, That'd be quite 156, good bullet. yeah. Yeah, the trouble is trying to get any. I think Mark, Mark's got 6.5 PRC. Again, like his Valkyrie, just sits in the back of the safe. Um, no, no, it's there ready to go, just for the in-between <laughs> shot. It's not quite, you know... My three hundred wood mag's too good, and the six five PRC is just right. So between like six hundred meters and seven hundred meters, you'll get out the PRC, yeah, and then I'll you'll like, go to the three. Hand me my, <laughs> hold on, hand me my PRC. Bag of golf clubs. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, actually, in, 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 yeah, he nearly bought another one the other day, but he got another credible. But anyway, yeah. Whew, well, lucky it's that. Certainly, a sort of compromising, isn't it? You know, he's trying to figure out what you want to achieve, and and you know, for every pro positive thing is a there's probably a negative thing involved in in some scenario so um hinging your bets i think is the best way to go and, and to be fair i think none of it actually matters that much i think we get caught up in no, the noise no. you know what i mean like you guys shot you for years for what 20 years shot 308 175 grains yeah you know and it worked yep. so and now we like finesse over whether we go xc yeah. or creed or GT. which is just a fraction faster than a creed yeah so I, yeah, I, I think as long as we, <laughs> as long as you don't forget, is that we're having fun, right? That's that's the main thing. And, yeah. Uh, one thing I have really really enjoyed about uh, these matches, if I'm honest, is they go on my calendar, and you got to book them several months out. And then I think, oh, actually, I better go do some shooting, or I better go do some load development because that's coming on the cards. Where otherwise, you know, running a business and and when you buy a hundred year old house, you spend a lot of time, do, spare time doing it up. So it's got me out shooting a lot more than what i would otherwise if i was just going plugging steel on my own time so it's been been really good no you're right regard. yeah it's got me off the farm and i need to do that now and again so it's been great for it, that. it gets you off the yeah. farm and we go to other farms yeah <laughs> 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 no but you're right though and and it also as we, we said earlier it, it points out uh holes in your your um shooting not toolbox, but your game, Absolutely. you know. So yeah, I can't. Yeah. I, every match I'll go and I think, yeah, I'm going to do well, and I don't right. But I've come away with man, I need to work on A, B, C, D, and I'll practice those, and then I probably forget a bunch of other stuff. But yeah, like you say, every match I'll go to, especially well, not so much South Island matches; they don't do much positional. But GPRE or TLRS events, you'll hear guys go, man, I really need to practice my unsupported positional or. We have guys now going, man, I'm going to buy a sling, a real sling, not a Stony Creek over-the-shoulder job. We're going to get a, a, a tactical-style sling because um, people may have noticed more of that is creeping back into our events, um, GPRE and TLRS events. Um, maybe just yeah. one, one stage, but man, it, the modern shooter is struggling with it. So now guys, <clears throat> especially like the top 10, they're practicing it. Uh, so something no, that was essentially dying. Me. No, not I know, me, I know you're not, but you're, you're weirdly good at 
bad being a bad shooter. <laughs> <laughs> Mark's a really good bad shooter, we call him. I'm sticking away from slings. <sighs> Mark reckons... I simply, the, I, I simply oh. don't use them, right? If I'm doing standing unsupported in my everyday travels around the farm, it's always super short range, so it's not like... Yeah, true. But you use yeah. you use shooting sticks all the time as well. All the time, yeah. The quick so deployments, so, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, but but for the I'm rest of saying, us... I, I'm just saying I don't use it enough, to, in my mind, to then go and practice it for you know, a, a competition. I've seen more people stuffing around with slings than actually using them effectively. To be so fair, probably, to be yeah. fair, I run... Uh, half the time I run the, the sling that goes around your chest and pulls uh, from a single point back into the... To the butt of the rifle, uh, sorry, yeah. to the forehead of the rifle. I don't do that shooting rabbits. I'm not walking around with a sling tightened around my chest. I just shoot them offhand. But uh, <laughs> so you've got a good point. I do that for competitions, um, and if I'm shooting deer or something, I'll use a hasty sling uh, if I've got to take a quick shot. So that's a good point, Mark. But um, if I was more serious, I probably would. I'm, I'm anyway. What do you I'm, mean more I'm serious? Gonna... You're the 2020 Tarata Tarata Practical <laughs> Rifle Champ. Yeah, well, hopefully if it rains more, I'll still be champion next week. You're hoping everyone <laughs> will get drowned out or not turn up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, it looks a bit wet, but we'll see how that goes. Um, nope, check the weather, still bad. Oh, Thursday's good now. Oh, no, I'm in Bennydale. Anyway, um, yeah, so that's... Obviously, the sling stuff comes... Uh, it's a lot easier for you, Carl, um, with your with your uh, background. Um, and as I mentioned at the 22 shoot, you did really well because it was a quite a heavy match for um unsupported shooting um which shocked a few people uh, didn't shock simon at all um in fact he seems to shoot better standing than he does prone in my opinion um no it was a pleasure to watch i was pleased on the squad and uh, I, was, I was surprised i thought if, if he's if he's doing this well then i'm probably not going to make the top 10 so i was quite Quite, quite happy. Uh, happy with the fourth place. That's for sure. No, he's, he's very nice to watch. You know, he's a very solid and uh, consistent shooter. That's for sure. Yes, yes, he's very analytical, and he, uh, um, he he gives me a lot of advice and a lot of help with positional shooting over these last few years. So I'm quite grateful. Um, he's yeah. certainly good at adding up scores. Yes, better than most. Yeah, <laughs> I've got a disputed third place from last weekend. Uh, it's, it's in the books. <laughs> it's in the books. Oh. Yeah, Simon reckons he beat me, but I haven't seen the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, or what the guys? I got third. What everyone is calling an illegitimate third place. <laughs> but I offered Simon the medal, and he wouldn't take it. So, no doubt he'll hear this tomorrow, and he'll he'll have a chuckle. Um, yeah. So, I think that covers about all our questions we sort of talked about. Um, any sort of cool new projects in the work you can uh, for for the uh, shooting world? Uh, sorry, the, the competition world side, not the military side. That you can sort of uh, let slip. Or, there's a rumor of a, of a gun bag and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, been working on a new gun bag, and I'm just just going through the final stages, and we'll look at doing the costing and putting it into production. Um, but it's essentially fitting that gap between a, a hard case where it's a bit hard to lug around and something you can throw on your back and, and still protect your, your valuable asset um, when, you, when you have to hump it up a hill or something. So um, hopefully that comes out. But, but like most things, um, I'd like, I think I can achieve something in a month and it normally takes me twice as long and um, with our general everyday business here. But there's plenty of projects um, I imagine will get released next year. Um, plenty of 
hunting um, binocular pouches and a few other few other we've got we've got in the process a lightweight shooting mat that we're sort of just finalizing developing as opposed to our deluxe one and yeah we certainly haven't run out of ideas that's for sure no awesome i I do um i used to buy products from overseas and and that kind of thing and one of the trouble i mean there's some good products from overseas but we're always being at the bottom of the world um an order would only come in once or twice a year you know so you're sort of hanging out for stuff and now we can just um send you an email or direct order straight off your website and it's um yeah and we it's here in a day so it's um and it's made in new zealand which is cool you know it's 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 supporting local families and well you know new zealand family. anyway it's it's neat it's especially in these weird times we're in with um the world sort of going a bit mental it's good to buy local uh, we we absolutely appreciate everyone's support. It's been it's been brilliant. And I say we've been been around ten years, but only really at a website for the last twelve months. Um, so it's been been super exciting and where we're going. And I, I can't wait to see what the next twelve months hold. Yeah, I, we uh, I watch it uh, with keen interest actually. Um, again, most of my kit is slowly getting replaced with Saber gear, which is pretty neat. Um, I think that covers off about most of what we planned on talking about. Uh, any last questions from you, Mark? serious ones yeah i what i ask most people and uh, well i don't really but um if you could have an ideal rifle build what what would you go for as a scope now and what would the rifle be and what caliber well i i think i'm probably lucky enough to be living that that answer as as we speak although i haven't put a round down it yet but i, I think that hardy hybrid with the Six more GT and and ATAC R uh, scope, I think, is going to be a pretty competitive package, and and then it's just a matter of me doing my part and then getting into a bit of training. So um, watch the space; it's it's early days yet, but I'm hoping the next competition um, uh, to have it all set up and, and running. So what's the ATAC R? Is it the seven to thirty-five? No, I I went with the five to twenty-five. Um, yeah, I hummed in hard whether it was worth spending an extra thousand dollars for that that little bit more glass and and I think about if I think about my military days even with a fifty cal longer range sort of shooting I sort of never be on that twenty five power mark although your mirage is too high and your your field of view is too narrow so I don't know if I'll regret that if I start shooting a lot of South Island matches or sort of going on to what seems to be a little bit more popular with the sort of quarter mile stuff but um, that's what I've got at the moment. Um, and seems to be seems to be working really well. Yep. No, no, fair enough. Nice. Good call. No, it's awesome. Um, all right. Well, I think that about wraps up episode twenty-eight. Thank you for coming on. It was it's probably our most professional podcast out of all of them so far, which will surprise people. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. And again, thanks, Carl, for coming on. Thank you, Mark. And we will see you all in a couple of weeks. Or you'll listen to my us pleasure. Anyway. Thanks, team. No worries. Yeah.